Hey, Mike here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Dark Poutine early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Hello and welcome to Dark Poutine. I'm Mike Brown, your creator and host. Due to personal reasons and a change in his priorities after his dad's passing, Scott has chosen not to continue with the show and will not be returning. He remains a supporter of Dark Poutine and we wish him well on his new adventures. So with me this week and moving forward for the next little while at least is my wife, Carol. Say hello, Carol. Hello. 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 The views, information, and opinions expressed during the Dark Poutine podcast are solely those of the producer and do not necessarily represent those of Curious Cast, its affiliate, Global News, nor their parent company, Chorus Entertainment. Dark Poutine is not for the faint of heart or squeamish. Our content is often intense, and some listeners may find it disturbing. We're not experts on the topics we present, nor are we journalists. We're just two ordinary Canadian schmoes chatting about crime in the dark side of history. Let's get to it. Put on your toque, grab yourself a double-double and an Nanaimo bar. It's time to scarf down some dark poutine. It was delicious. Bon appétit. Listeners who feel they are in crisis can contact the Crisis Text Line in Canada by texting HOME to 686868. In the US or UK, text 741741. The service will match you with a volunteer counsellor who is supervised by a licensed, trained mental health professional. Crisis Text Line is free 24-7 support for those in crisis. For more information, go to crisistextline.ca in Canada or crisistextline.org globally. As young offenders perpetrated the horrific events in this episode, we cannot name them or their mother, the victim. For the first time in the show, we'll be using false names and place names for all involved to avoid identifying them. Thanks for understanding, but this story is no less compelling. The following is a case that falls under the protections provided by Canada's Youth Criminal Justice Act and is subject to subsections 110, 111, and section 129 of the Act. Every person who contravenes subsection 110, the identity of the offender, not be published, 111, the identity of the victim or witness, not be published, or section 129, no subsequent disclosure, is guilty of an indictable offense and liable to imprisonment for a term not exceeding two years and is liable of an offense punishable on summary conviction. So, please, be mindful of these things when you're sharing or discussing this episode on social media or elsewhere. Yikes! I'll be extra alert, just in case. You are listening to Dark Poutine, episode 151, Bathtub Girls, The Murder of Linda Anderson. So, have you heard of this case? No, I've not heard it at all. Yeah, it was made into a movie that we'll talk about later on. You and I have both seen this movie. So, okay. Yeah. 
I think I know what movie, but I could be mixing it up. There's a couple of them. Yep. Okay, got it. Okay. Much of the information in this story comes from court documents as usual, news articles, and a book titled The Class Project, How to Kill a Mother by late author and Toronto Star reporter Bob Mitchell. We'll be using the aliases for the family members and witnesses as created by Mitchell for his definitive book on the case to maintain consistency in reporting and limit confusion. On January 18th at 10.30 p.m., a 911 operator took a call from a seemingly distraught 16-year-old girl. From the class project, quote, Sandra dialed 911 at 10.33 p.m. Emergency police, fire, or ambulance, the 911 operator asked. I don't know, Sandra replied, sobbing into the telephone. What's the problem, the operator asked. I think my mom is dead in the tub, Sandra said. After getting the particulars from Sandra, the dispatcher sent Peel Regional Police to check on the scene at the Mississauga townhome. The first officer to arrive was Constable Blair Horner. Horner was led to the upstairs bathroom by the sisters, Sandra, 16, and Beth, 15. Horner got to the bathroom and found Linda Anderson, 43, definitely deceased in the tub, her skin already turning gray. The girls told him that they had drawn a bath for her earlier that evening. Linda, they said, was drunk as usual. After getting Linda's bank card from her to use for their dinner, Linda had climbed into the bath and the sisters had gone out to a local restaurant at around 6.30 p.m. They hung out and chatted at the restaurant for a few hours. After paying for their meals, they came right home and said that's when they found Linda dead. They had immediately called 911. So you find your mother dead in the tub. That's horrible. And they're just young, 15 and 16. Like, this is horrible. Yeah. The girls held each other and cried as they watched police and paramedics doing their work. According to Mitchell's book, Linda was lying face down with her head toward the faucet. She had messed herself. Linda was still warm to the touch, but rigor mortis had already begun to take hold, as it does four to six hours after death. The timeline that the girls had given was tight, but it was still plausible. I didn't know that you would still be like a warm person, even if you'd been gone for four to six hours. Like I didn't know that. Well, it she could was laying in a warm time. bath, so if the if the water stayed warm yeah. for that long, that could be. Uh, as it is unusual for someone to drown in a tub, drunk or not, Sergeant Bernie Weber, an expert investigator, came in to go over the scene. There was no sign of struggle, nor could he detect anything that would indicate any kind of foul play from the class project How to Kill a Mother. Quote, he found nothing to suggest the bathroom was a crime scene, an accidental death, or death by misadventure, Weber wrote in his notes. So, tragic. I mean, we've heard of people dying in their tubs yep. before. Whitney mm-hmm. Houston yep. died and in also her, her daughter. Her daughter, yeah. Yeah. The authorities removed Linda's body from the home, and the coroner performed an autopsy. From court documents, quote, At death, Linda had a blood alcohol level of 415 milligrams of alcohol per 100 milliliters of blood. Her urine contained 510 milligrams of alcohol per 100 milliliters of urine. She had likely consumed alcohol within a half hour prior to death. 
The forensic toxicologist subsequently tested for the presence of drugs, and he found codeine at a rate of 0.07 milligrams per 100 milliliters of blood, acetaminophen at the rate of 3 milligrams per 100 milliliters of blood, and Benadryl in trace amounts. Tylenol-3s contain acetaminophen and codeine. Alcohol and codeine taken together greatly decrease mental functioning. Depending on the amounts consumed and the body's tolerance to these depressants, the net effect of the combination could lead to unconsciousness, coma, or death. The cause of death in this case was determined to be drowning. So, she drowned as a result of her intoxication, it seems. Even the sergeant was at the beginning there was uh, saying, no, it looks like it was an accident. Yeah. There was no sign of trauma on the body, but there were signs of cirrhosis of the liver in its earliest stages, all indications that the story that Sandra and Beth were telling them was the real deal. Yeah. Linda Anderson was born in Bialystok, Poland, on April 5, 1959. Both her parents were respected medical doctors, and the family was relatively well off. Following her parents' lead, she went to university after high school. She had met her husband Walter, the girl's father, in Poland. And in the middle of the 1980s, the couple moved to Saskatoon, where Sandra was born in 1986. After Walter completed a university degree, the family moved east to Toronto, where Beth entered the world in 1987. There was a lot of friction between Linda and Walter, and they fought bitterly. They eventually separated. Although young at the time, Beth, according to court documents, understood that her mother could, quote, no longer stand Walter's tyranny and rigidity. It was not an easy time for any involved, and the, and the couple fought a lot over access to the children. Isn't it sad that kids get caught in the middle of things? Tyranny, rigidity, not fun. Not fun at all. Linda made it difficult for Walter to see the girls, prompting him to take on a lower-paying job so he did not have to pay as much child support. There was a lot of bitterness and petty behavior between the two, and the girls were well aware of it. During the separation period, Linda shipped the girls off to live with their maternal grandparents back in Poland for around two years. Linda then went back to school to get more education, hoping to acquire a higher-paying job later to better support the girls financially, as she felt Walter was not going to step up. After Linda graduated with a nursing degree and got a job, the girls returned. The trio lived in an apartment in Etobicoke and later moved into the townhouse in Mississauga. They continued to visit with Walter. Sandra remembered the visits fondly, but Beth didn't. From court documents, quote, Their father has been described as a bit odd and a loner. Apart from his interest in seeing his girls achieve scholastically, he appears to have been somewhat detached from them and not much involved in their lives, end quote. You just kind of have to wonder about him because if he deliberately took a lower paying job just not to have to pay proper child support, that's just like, what? That's a big red flag. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. So. Like, I know there's circumstances where you can't get the job you want, but to deliberately take, like, minimum wage job so you don't have to shell out that seems um not cool in 1991 linda began a long-term common law relationship with another man she had known from poland who immigrated to canada linda in her new live-in soon had a child bobby the girls loved their new little half-brother but loathed his father the man was exceptionally physically abusive toward linda the couple drank and fought a lot he struck and physically abused the girls often 
but his verbal tirades were just as devastating. In 2001, after a particularly violent fight with Linda, the courts convicted her boyfriend of assault with a weapon. The couple finally separated after that. During that relationship, Linda's alcoholism ramped up, and by the time Bobby's father was out the door for good, Linda lived, it seemed, only to drink, and there were unconfirmed rumblings that Linda was also using crack cocaine at the time. Mm. Those two girls couldn't cut a break, really. No. They're just kind of in the wrong place all the time. Yeah. From court documents, quote, It was said that Linda was drunk or at least under the influence, quote, all the time, or at least whenever she had money to buy alcohol. The girls said that she drove while intoxicated with them in their car. The money she earned was spent on liquor first, and family necessities and comforts were shorted or neglected. On at least two occasions, the girls called Children's Aid Society to report their situation, but the investigation did not support society intervention either because either the girls retreated from their initial claims or because Linda was adept at presenting well when it counted, as she was usually able to do with both family and friends. The girls are reporting their mom to social services, and when they show up, their mom's on her best behavior. Yeah. It's really difficult to kind of follow through, like to kind of stick with this story if the mom is kind of, oh, yeah, glossing over it. Not everyone saw Linda that way. Again, from court documents, quote, however, there was another more positive side to Linda. Witnesses who worked with her spoke highly of her abilities and selfless sacrifice in working two jobs while also going to school to provide for her children, who were materially demanding and unappreciative. The witnesses were unaware of any drinking problem, although it was established that there was an absentee problem that ultimately led to Linda's dismissal. By the summer of 2002, Linda had lost her job and drank very heavily. The home situation had deteriorated even further. According to Sandra and Beth, little Bobby's care fell to the older girls, now both in their teens. Rather than having lives like the ones they saw their friends enjoying, they had a child and an increasingly problematic grown woman, their mother, Linda, to look after. They began to hate their mother openly, talking about her often with their friends and what they could do to get rid of her. Oh, no. According to court documents, there was a lack of parental guidance, authority, and companionship, end quote. The sisters, quote, had some valid cause to form negative views of their mother and like many teenagers, were unable to see or appreciate her more positive side. They saw that she was not there for them, not that she was working double shifts to provide for them. They saw her as passed out drunk, not as an exhausted mother trying to cope and taking comfort in alcohol. By the end of the summer of 2002, there was little positive to be seen. The impact of Linda's drinking on her family had reached a critical level. The girl's feelings were aggravated by what must have been lingering resentment toward her for having brought an abusive man into their lives. The girls hated their mother's drinking and became increasingly frustrated at their inability to help her with it or Linda's unwillingness to address it or even acknowledge that she might need help. The girls were also starting to get into trouble themselves and headed down the same road as Linda, partying hard, drinking and drugging, and becoming sexually active. You emulate what you see, I guess, when you're a kid. And also, it's not fun living in that house, going out and doing those things, drinking drugs and all that stuff. It's just like you just get to blow off some steam from your crazy life. 
Some of the people who attended Linda's funeral in early 2003 were taken aback by the callous behavior and lack of respect that Sandra and Beth had showed. The girls who showed up at Linda's ceremony were far from the image that Linda proudly painted when she spoke of them to friends and co-workers. From Bob Mitchell's book, The Class Project, How to Kill a Mother, quote, The two teenagers giggled and laughed with their friends just a few feet away from Linda's open casket. Linda's co-workers left the funeral feeling appalled by the way Sandra and Beth had acted. Linda had told some of them how little respect her daughters gave her, but they were shocked by what they saw. But none of the hospital workers imagined the girls had murdered their mother. Quote, they were very disrespectful, said Charles Boswell, one of Linda's closest friends at the hospital. Quote, they looked as if they would rather be somewhere else with their friends. They seemed casual, almost upbeat. They had smiles on their faces when this young guy walked in. They didn't look sorry, end quote. Well, that's not good. I mean, they could have at least pretended to be sad at their mom's funeral. But right. you don't know how someone's going to react in those situations. Right. According to Bob Mitchell's book, after the funeral, the girls moved in with their Aunt Martha for a while. Walter wanted to take another run at fatherhood and moved into Linda's now-empty townhouse, then moved Sandra and Beth back in with him. The girls hated living with their dad. He was definitely not Linda. Under his roof, there were rules. No drinking, no spending sprees. He even demanded receipts to prove that they had actually used their money the way that they had claimed. Most of all, Walter expected them to go to school and pull up their flagging marks. What a horrible person. Time to leave. Yes. That's outrageous. Oh, what, a, what an awful man. From the class project, How to Kill a Mother... Quote, he demanded to meet their friends before he would allow them to come to the house. He scheduled regular meal times, which they mostly ignored. He instituted a curfew, which his daughters also ignored. Their parties didn't stop, but they had to make sure that it looked as if nobody had been there. Everything needed to be cleaned up before Walter returned home. Well, I can't say I didn't do some of those things. No, my friend, her mom used to tell her she wanted the house cleaned showcase ready. <laughs> okay, so after parties, make sure it's showcase ready. Walter quickly came to the end of his tether and realized he could not control Sandra and Beth. They went back to live with Aunt Martha, who had a bigger home. The girls bummed money from Aunt Martha and continued drinking and drugging with their friends. In November of 2003, less than a year after Linda's death, a male friend of Sandra's, David, 21, came into the police department with a secret that he couldn't keep any longer. He told police that Sandra and Beth Anderson had admitted to killing their mother, Linda. And we'll take a break right here. <sighs> and we're back. So what are your thoughts so far, Carol? I kind of... I don't know... Exactly. I feel bad for them. They are young. They don't know what they're doing, but they've definitely gone down the wrong path, like way down the wrong path. Yeah. I mean, the book that we're reading from quotes from is How to Kill a Mother. So I know what happened, but I know I still feel like some compassion for them, but just yeah. like, it, how oh. do you get to that point where you kill your mother? You know, like how bad does it actually have to get before you kill your mother? Pretty bad because I mean a lot of kids run away. They don't kill their parents. They'll or they just, don't kill yeah, their mom. Yeah, they'll flee. Yeah. Yeah. But for them to hang in and then go through with it, that I don't. Uh, yeah, just like whew, 
How did they decide to take that action instead of just leaving? They could have. They're hanging out with some guy who's 21, man. They could have gone with him. Well, not necessarily. Maybe he's like, get away from me. <laughs> no, if he's hanging out with them, there's an option. They'll know somebody. Police looked back at the files they had for Linda Anderson's death and found that investigators had ruled the death an accidental drowning with extreme intoxication as a factor. Right away, the homicide detectives began referring to the case as the bathtub girl's murder, which, much later, the press also twigged on, and it's commonly used to refer to the affair. David was also concerned about Sandra's drug use and that she had talked about suicide a lot. All David knew for sure is that Sandra had told him that her mother's death was not an accident. According to Bob Mitchell's book, Sandra said to David, quote, I killed her, I murdered her, somebody was going to die that night, either me or her. She then went on to boast that she had duped the police into believing it was an accident. Hmm, that sentence is interesting. What that sentence? Somebody was going to die that night, either me or her. Like, she was furious. Peel police asked David to wear a wire, which he agreed to do. Police coached the young man about broaching the subject of murder and leading the Anderson sisters to confessing to him. Over the next two months, ending in January of 2003, David met with both Sandra and Beth Anderson and got the girls to talk. All the while, police were listening intently, carefully noting and recording every conversation. Both girls indicated their involvement in the planning and eventual murder of their mother. They had had help in the planning from friends via numerous internet chats. They had considered multiple scenarios, including staging household accidents and even setting Linda on fire. That's a horrible one. Don't pick that option. From the class project, How to Kill a Mother, quote, David asked Sandra if she thought about turning herself into the police. Nope, she replied, because, like, if I did, that would destroy my life and affect a lot of people's lives around me. Plus, how am I supposed to help raise my little brother if I'm not here? As soon as she was living on her own and had a job, she intended to have Bobby live with her instead of his father. That's why I actually have to stay coherent in the next couple of years and do something with myself to earn money, she said. So was she planning on going to school? What kind of job? How is she going to take care of a kid? That's a great question. Well, I guess she's, what, 16? How old would she be at this point? Maybe 17? She'd be 17. Yeah, so probably not thinking clearly. It was clear to the police from the conversations with David that many more young people other than the Anderson sisters may have been involved in Linda's murder. It was going to take a massive, coordinated, and synchronized effort to bring them all in. On the morning of January 21, 2004, only a few days more than a year after Linda's death, a swarm of Peel police picked up Sandra, Beth, and as many of their friends as they thought might be aware of or even involved in Linda Anderson's murder. The police came armed with warrants for computers, cell phones, and any other electronic device that might be bearing evidence that would help put the case to rest. They're doomed. Their cell phones, they're doomed. Kids with cell phones? Oh my God. (laughs) Yeah. Police arrested the Anderson sisters around 7 a.m. at their Aunt Martha's house. Sandra was taken to the police station in her pajamas. Though the arresting officers said that she could change, put on some better clothes, she said she wanted to stay in her PJs. Beth was taken separately to the same police station. They were kept in separate interview rooms and interviewed for 
a few hours up until about 4 p.m. Sandra confessed at around 1. Beth did not. They were later placed together in the same room, having been warned that their conversation would be recorded. They spoke together for about 10 minutes, mostly in Polish. The gist of this conversation was that Sandra reminded Beth not to say anything to the police, to not give in to their tactics and persistence, that their friend David was foolish to have believed that what they had told him about killing their mother was true. It was all a big joke. Just jokes. Just just jokes. jokes. They're just kidding around. Mm -hmm. A computer in Aunt Martha's house seized during the arrest was analyzed. It contained records of online chatting in the weeks before Linda's death. In these chats, Sandra, Beth, and their friends described a plan to drown their mother in the bathtub after getting her drunk. They would leave and meet their friends at Jack Astor's restaurant to provide an alibi before returning home to, quote, discover that their mother had drowned. The computer had also been used to visit web pages dealing with the effects of alcohol and Tylenol 3, and someone had downloaded a document detailing the physiological processes involved in drowning. That's a lot of research. It is, and the whole recipe was there. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. The content of some of the chats is alarming. They are full of hatred for Linda, and two weeks before her death, the planning began in earnest. One chat on January 2nd, 2003, between a male friend and Beth. The male asks how things are going with your mom, and Beth asks if he is going to help with the alibi. The plan is discussed, including drowning in the tub, holding her head underwater when Linda is drunk. Oh, that's brutal. The girls set a tentative date for the murder. It was January 11, 2003. But when they found out that there was a party happening that night, they postponed Linda's murder until the next Saturday. Priorities. Priorities, yeah. So we're going partying instead of, like, killing mom. We can put it off. We'll live with her in the same house for another week. But that's, that's so cold. It's cruel. Yeah. And you have awful plans. Another chat between Beth and a male friend. Beth says, we've set a date. Next weekend, no point in dragging more people into it. Saturday. Oh, my God. The phone, the text messages, the police must have been just like, oh, all right, we're set. In a chat on January 14th, Sandra talks about motive for murder. It isn't just about hate. It's about money. Sandra says, we're planning to do something this Saturday with my mom so we can't get drunk unless it doesn't work out. The log includes information regarding the effects of Tylenol 3s and alcohol. Sandra says, Going to give mom three Tylenol 3s or more and leave her in the tub and go to Jack Astor's and come home with alibis. It also mentions how after she gets the 70000 her third of the projected inheritance, how she'll spend it. She says she's going to waste it on drugs and travel and plan to buy a gun. Classy. Yeah. The recipe was simple. Number one, pick the day. Number two, create a paper trail to formulate an alibi, purchasing movie tickets for an hour before Linda's death time. Three, gathering the right supplies, five Tylenol 3s. They would have enough codeine in them to make Linda more incoherent and compliant and mash them up, put them into her vodka. Four, give Linda the codeine mixed drink and wait for the results. Five, draw her a nice warm bath to make her more comfortable. 
Six, get Linda into the tub. Help her relax. Seven, wait until Linda is out of it due to the booze and drugs. Then put latex gloves on to leave no fingerprints. Eight, push Linda's head underwater for at least four minutes while she's lying on her stomach. Nine, make sure she's dead. Ten, go out and celebrate with friends. Eleven, grab the phone. Practice crying and work yourself into hysterics. Call 911 and report an accidental death. 12. Act like sad little girls. Play the victim. 13. Give the police your alibi. 14. Receive the life insurance money and live high on the hog. I was wondering, first of all, a couple of things. There's one thing there about grind, their uh, crushed up coating to put in the vodka. Like the mom wouldn't notice that? But Probably guess, not, no. no. Um, yeah, I was wondering how the drowning part happened. So they even talked about wearing gloves and how long to keep her head under. Mm-hmm. And one of them even admitted to spreading her fingers apart with the gloves on so it wouldn't leave bruises on her mother's back. Wow. Yeah. Wow. January 18th went off without a hitch. They'd gotten the T3s from a 15-year-old male co-conspirator who was later also charged for his part in the crime. At trial, in November 2005, the girls were found guilty of their their mother's murder. Against the Crown's wishes, the Crown wanted life with 10 years, with no chance of parole. However, the pair were sentenced as young offenders, which is why we must maintain their anonymity to this day. Both received the maximum allowable by law for a young offender, 10 years. The young man who aided them was sentenced to one year as a young offender. Once in prison the sisters were model inmates. After five years or so, they were released into halfway houses and continued their education. The oldest, Sandra, excelled in university. She became an engineer. Beth is now married and has children. She's pursuing a career as a lawyer. Sandra's therapist, however, indicates that she is still extraordinarily manipulative and in the same state of mind as she was before the murder. Seventeen years after the crime, these young murderers make their lives among us with their only prohibition being that they refrain from consuming alcohol and drugs. That's shocking. Right? And it's so weird when people can do those things and then just carry on and have what seems to be a normal life. I don't know what they're like inside, but on the outside, they're just like, yeah, I've just got a regular job and I've got a family and all these things. They've got a good job. Yeah. Like a really good job. You're a, one's a lawyer and one's an engineer. That's pretty darn good. Yeah. They got a good education. I so mean, are they rehabilitated? That's a great question. But here's the thing. So we don't know. Like we, we could speculate that they're not, but maybe we they are. We don't know. Maybe they do. They, they did some kind of inner work and mm-hmm. they feel badly for what they did. And One article I read, it mentioned how people have a really negative reaction to this kind of thing. When somebody gets out, you hear it all the time. People talk about it in our Facebook groups, how Canadian justice is too weak. But are these people rehabilitated? How, like, I don't hear often about people recommitting murders. I really don't. So are we keeping the right people behind bars? I don't think Bernardo and Picton are getting out, but these two are nothing like that. Mm, well, the one seems like she... they. The older She's one, one yeah. considered extraordinary manipulative. Yeah. It's interesting, right? It is. It just makes you wonder, like, okay, were they? 
Rumor has it that the man who was Linda's boyfriend at the time of her death continues to visit her grave with fresh flowers. That's a rumor. Okay. In the summer of 2011, Bob Mitchell's book, The Class Project, was turned into a motion picture entitled Perfect Sisters, starring Abigail Breslin, Mira Sorvino, and Georgie Henley. And we're not sure what the real-life sisters thought of it, but many say it was over-dramatized. I kind of thought it was like, eh, it was a little overdone. <laughs> How can you over-dramatize what they did? Yeah. It's pretty awful. It is pretty awful. But, uh, yeah. I remember in the movie, the, the young actresses playing, the sisters were very intense. It was a really intense film. But you know what? If you have a friend or loved one who's an alcoholic, we understand your pain. You don't have to kill them, number one. Yeah, that's true. And, but you don't have to be alone with it either. Alcoholism is a frustrating disease, not only for the sufferer, but for those around them too. There is help. You can Google Al-Anon family groups or go to al-anon.org. That's alanon.org to find people who have been there where you are and know how to help. Yeah. And there's also good Al-Anon recovery podcasts too, where you can kind of hear what happens and yeah. Yep. So check those things out. If you've got an alcoholic in your life who is frustrating, please don't hurt them. Yeah. And that's it for this week's case. So we wanted to mention something uh, before we get into our voicemails and all that kind of stuff. We wanted to say happy Turkey Day to our American listeners. We've already had our Thanksgiving. Canadians have our Thanksgiving in October, mm -hmm. but our American friends were, are having it on November 26th. So you lucky ducks. I know right. this year is different than others, but I can just tell you, having been able to celebrate American Thanksgiving with Americans, you guys do it up right. Because you did it in Saudi Arabia, yeah, right? Yeah, we lived on an American compound. So they would always invite us to the American Thanksgiving and someone would always make sweet potatoes with marshmallows on top. And I could not believe my luck that I got to eat marshmallows for dinner. It was the best thing ever. And so much food. <laughs> so 22 sides. It's always the sides. And then a whole like turkey dinner. So you were more impressed with eating marshmallows for dinner than anything. I couldn't believe I could actually eat marshmallows for dinner. Not dessert, for dinner. Yeah. Turkey, mashed potatoes, Brussels sprouts, sweet potatoes with marshmallows on top. Come on. Well, we were in Vegas one year for, oh, for they American do it up Thanksgiving. Right there too. It was fun. Yeah. Oh my gosh, it was great. So happy fun. Turkey Day to American folks and hopefully if you can't be directly with your family you have like a good zoom meeting or something like that with them yeah. and uh, just give them all virtual hugs we know things are kind of tough down there right now and we're we're pulling for you folks the zoom stuff is fun we had a hundred year old birthday party for my grandma on the zoom and my grandma was there she was totally just like okay hi everybody it's my birthday <laughs> yeah so if you're making an excuse I can't do something over zoom a hundred-year-old ladies can do it over Zoom. Yep. And she sent a thank you card after. It was <laughs> nice did. to see you on the Zoom. <laughs> I love it. So, yeah. yeah, it does work. This is temporary. I mean, it's feeling like I'm hoping the vaccine is close. Yeah. I mean, I really miss traveling. I mean, we're just getting into it again. And then all this stuff happened. 
I really want to go a few places. I want that vaccine or whatever card they give me after I have my vaccine that I can wave it at somebody as with my passport and say, I am going <laughs> elsewhere. Exactly. I get to work from home for the rest of the year in yes. the basement. So that's how serious it is. They just told us on Friday, everybody out of the pool. So Everybody out of the pool. Yep. So that's it. I'm answering phones in the basement. How can I help you? <laughs> There you go. Um, yeah, I guess it's time for some voicemails. Let's see if anybody gave us a call. Did anyone call? Hello? There are actually a lot of voicemails wow. this week, which is unusual. Um, let's, uh, let's give this one a shot. Hi, this is <clears throat> Whitney. Um, I'm from Haldeman County, um, which is in Southern Ontario. <clears throat> um, I just wanted to say thank you so much for uh, looking at a lot of these cases and a lot of these criminals from an empathetic view. Um, I studied sociology um, in university and um, a lot of that is focused on the same basis. So you know, studying the reason why certain people do certain things. Um, and it's changed the way I think about a lot of things. And I think that you guys are helping to kind of spread the same messages and the same views and the same empathy that sociology brings to, like, humans. And I think it's really, really great. And I want to thank you because I think it's really going to make a difference um, and, you know, I listen to you guys, um, while I clean, um, my horse stalls every day. Um, and then I come home and I can't stop the episode. I have to keep listening because it's so good and I love them so much. So thank you. I really appreciate you guys. Thank you so much. That was really good. Oh, that was nice. Also, there's the horse people in, in the uh, barn, not in the barnyard, but there are there too, but the umberyard and listeners, there's more horse people than I ever knew. There are a lot of horse people. We have Lucky. a lot, a lot of horse people. Lucky, those velvety noses. Right? Oh, they're the best. And I'm going to go back in time here and I'm going to have a look at a couple of voicemails that we may not have heard before. So <laughs> let's have a look. Hi, guys. Um, my name's Harmon. Friends call me Harmony. Um, I've called in before. Um, I was just catching up on dark poutine just because I've been super busy at work. And I just heard that Mike was in Hamilton, whereas that's where I'm from. And I posted in the Umber Yard about Bring Your Dog Cafe and Pub and how you guys would get a free coffee and get to play with dogs and essentially a free meal and you didn't stop by. Not guilting you. I love you guys very much. Just saying, we're in Hamilton. You can come visit us. Okay? Love you guys. Bye. Go shit in your hat. Oh, yeah. <laughs> thank you. So, guess where we're going next time we're oh, in Hamilton? We're going. Somebody, I love coffee. Somebody love just it. offered us free food. <laughs> free food and dogs? Stop. I'm there. Right? Yes. So, oh. there you go. That's awesome. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Harmony, I am in. Harmony. 
Uh, next up, let's listen to this one. Hi, Mike and Scott. You guys are the best. Um, I'm from Lindsay, Ontario, originally now living outside of Boston near Foxborough. Go Patriots. And I just love listening to you guys. You are so considerate and kind to the victims, and I love the way that you animate stories and bring them to life in a considerate way. And being an, a Canadian in America right now is difficult, and I'm homesick, and I miss Canada. So I love hearing the loons, and you make me want to eat Nanaimo bars, but what the hell, you need to change that one day to butter tarts. The reason I'm calling is because I lived in Bermuda during the time Rebecca Middleton was murdered. And I have to tell you, that story broke my heart over and over again when you made me relive it with your descriptions. And it was fabulous the way you brought it to life with such respect for Rebecca. It was hard living in Bermuda then as a Canadian, as anybody, because Everybody just grieved for that family. It was such a traumatic time. But thank you again for all that you do. Go shit in your hat. I love you guys. Well, thank you so much. That was awesome. So cool. I know. I love it. So I guess now it is time to move on to the Patreon portion of the show. It is time for some shouting out shouting outage we're going we're going to do some shouting yay i am noisy so i can shout i can do some shouts you can do some shouts yep why do you want to do shouts because it's shouting out you're shouting out Shout. are you shouting out loud like kiss yes exactly they are uh yeah they're pretty geriatric (laughs) i think once hip replacements are involved but yeah, still, right. still going strong. They have that cruise ship going. They do have the Kiss Cruise. I kind of right. want to go on it sometime. <laughs> oh my god! It would. Be- I don't know. I'd have to stay in my cabin the whole time because I get too nervous around famous people. You would be nervous around Gene Simmons. Yes. <laughs> have you seen f- that glorious hair? <laughs> I was going to say his big fake hair. No, but I just can't. I get all nervous and weird. Well, you are nervous and weird to begin with. Uh, let's let's start our little Patreon stuff here. So okay. n- first up, we have Bohemian Coco Nat. Nice. And Nat is from Auckland, New Zealand. <gasps> New Zealand. What does she do in Auckland, New Zealand? What does Cat do? Nat. What does Nat do in Auckland, New Zealand? She's the manager of the manager of the Flight of the Concords. Oh. So she's the one, the men meeting guy. She has her own band meeting. Oh, well, that's nice. That's it. She started the whole thing. Does she know Brit and Jermaine? She knows Brit and Jermaine. Yes. Oh, Is that the bikey gang you're in with your (laughs) mum? With your (laughs) mum. She's good friends with Rice. What is his last name? Darby. Yes. He's great. He is a funny, funny guy. Oh, my God. New Zealand's lovely. And she also... Um, Does she crutch the poop from the sheep's bums? <laughs> she works on the... 
because Carol, used, when Carol went to New Zealand, she stayed on a sheep farm. We did a farm stay. And uh, that's what the guy talked about all the time was crutching the poop from the from sheep's, the sheep's bum. bum. Crutching we were, the poop from the sheep's <laughs> bums. <laughs> we were in a little farm town called Twizel. Twizel. Yep. It well, was nice. rad. Cool. Next up, we have from Spokane, Washington, a little place that I have been through. Nice. Levi Hansen. Levi, he works for Levi's. He is a jean designer. Oh, he's a jean designer. Yes, he is. So what color jeans does Levi design? Are they blue jeans? Like He does multiple colors, but he focuses on focuses on the organics. So not as Well, deep Washington blue. is a marijuana state, so I'm pretty <laughs> sure that he's busy focusing on They're some organics. They're pretty relaxed there, and their color's not so intense, but it's also better for the environment. There you go. Also, save all those nutrients for the cannabis. Why not? <laughs> Next, we have from Nanaimo, <gasps> home of the bars. Home of the bars, indeed. Jackie Pollard. Jackie, thank and, you. Yeah, thank you so much, Jackie. That's awesome. So, I love it when we have local folks from a place where I have been. My great uncle was a surgeon at Nanaimo General Hospital. Nice, lucky. Yeah, well, lucky for the lucky, lucky for, them, for them. He wasn't blind and shaky. <laughs> So what does Jackie, I know Jackie's probably not a surgeon there. She might be. She could be. You don't know. Yeah. Remember that time we hung out with people and I assumed the person was um, uh, not a gynecologist. I assumed she was like some doula or something like that. She's like, no, I'm actually a doctor. So you never know who you're hanging out with. We used to hang out with a rocket scientist as well. (laughs) That's true. I don't know how they hung out with us because I'm no rocket scientist, but. Jackie Pollard, I'm going to say that she is a doctor. Oh, what kind of? A hand surgeon, actually. A hand surgeon? Yes. She focuses on all the muscles and bones, digits on the hand. Okay, you've covered all the whole hand. (laughs) Yes. She loves hands. Except for the skin. So she doesn't (laughs) deal with She leaves that to someone else, her assistant. (laughs) You're so That's the dermatologist. (laughs) So she's not a dermatologist. She's no, a hand surgeon. She's a hand surgeon. She makes sure the hands Does are perfect. Does she like sew the, all the fingers together? No, it's not May. <laughs> oh, yeah. She's not May. She's not using an actual sewing machine. To, yeah. yeah. That was creepy, that movie. <laughs> I love your hands. Oh, stop it. <laughs> and it was Billy from Six Feet it Under, was. wasn't it? Yeah. <clears throat> oh. Spoiler. Well, yeah. Everybody's seen it. Six Feet Under. Come on. That was a great show. It really was. Oh, here we have Eleanor Leroux <gasps> from Montreal, Quebec. Oh, hey, bonjour. Hey, bonjour. Uh, so we drove past Montreal. That's true. Didn't stop. I couldn't and wait I, to get to Nova Scotia. I know. I really do want to go to Montreal. Yeah. I was going. talking to our friend Matthew the other day, and he says Montreal is one of the best, if not the best city in Canada to hang out in. Uh, it's just so full of culture and awesome people like Eleanor Leroux. Leroux. Oh, what does Eleanor Leroux do with her time? How does she make her money? How does she earn enough to send us a little bit of Patreon cash? She obviously runs a bagel, a bagel shop. A Montreal obviously. bagel shop? Yes, everything on it. 
Oh, I love Montreal oh. bagels. <laughs> it makes me want to drive into Seagull's Bagels right now. Yeah. Because there's a Seagull's Bagels. I think it's actually closed, isn't it? I don't know. I think they're still open. Oh, well, let's go then. Yeah, we're let's going. Let's just leave the show. <laughs> That's it. I, can't go. Good... I don't think they're open now. It's two o'clock in the morning. Why is there four hours of silence <laughs> on the end of this show? <laughs> Well, because we went to go get bagels. And then we'll come back and we'll do the last Patreon. That's it. Just keep waiting. People are like checking their phones. What's going on? What? Fast forward, There's fast forward. There's something wrong with this. It's like the, the Nirvana album, Never, uh, Nevermind, where there's like 14 minutes of silence and then the last song, Endless, uh, Endless and Nameless. Yeah. It's like. I miss Nirvana so yeah. much. So she's a bagel shop owner. Yes. Does she have like locks there too? Is she, is she, uh, you know? Do <laughs> Does we have... she lock up her bakery, you mean? No, no, locks. Like... <laughs> oh, I know. <laughs> Oi, those Oy. kind of bagels. Yes, exactly. Sure, why not? She's uh, She has prov- she provides bagels for everyone. There you go. There you go, Kwanzaa bagels. She <laughs> makes those. <laughs> she makes a Kwanzaa bagel. It's right. I can't imagine what a good Kwanzaa bagel it's is It's going like. to be delicious. I doubt it. Come on, it's going to be great. <laughs> it probably Next, we have somebody who I recognize from our Yumber Yard. Oh! Janice Keith from Calgary, Alberta. Janice from my hometown. That's right. Nice. Carol Carol was born in the Foothills Hospital there, there in, in Calgary. Yep. Um, so what is Janice Keith doing in Calgary and probably not getting arrested by a certain officer of the law that we know? I know. If you run into a certain constable, yeah, uh, just be careful. Um, yeah, she'll tase you. <laughs> she won't tase you, bro. Well, she'll probably just shoot you. <laughs> no! So what does Janice Keith do? Oh, come on. She is runs the stampede. What? I know. She's way up there. But it's the stampede of turtles. It's actually <laughs> not It's not horses. It's the t- Wild the t- turkey stampede might come oh, on. Oh, okay. I was close. There was a T-U-R in there. There you go. Yeah, you're right. I know. I can see how that happens. Yeah. Like autofill. Right, exactly. <laughs> How many times have I typed a certain word and it comes out duck on my yeah. cell phone? Though? Oh, boy. Like, uh, dear Just cell today. phone, I never write the word ducking. <laughs> I am not in a war. No I am one not does. Du- <laughs> Everybody, I am not ducking. Please stop it. Yes. So anyway, she's in charge of the wild turkey stampede. It's the best stampede. If what is that at the same time of year as the usual, st- the horse stampede with all the... <laughs> the horse The horses in the... <laughs> I don't know. I've never been. <gasps> oh my gosh. See, that's my true. wife is from Calgary and she has never, ever, ever taken me to the Calgary Stampede. Never, not once. That's true. I never thought you'd not want to once. go. It never I even have taken my her mind. to Nova Scotia to lobster dinners. Who I, does want to go to lobster dinners? I have taken her to the Nova Scotia Citadel Hill. Like, we do all the Nova Scotia things. When we go to Calgary, we sit in Mackenzie Town <laughs> with your mum. <laughs> with your mum. <laughs> with your mum. Oh, and then we go shopping, right? We've, My uh, mom loves shopping. She can't help it. Right. But why am I so lacking? In Calgary culture. In Calgary culture and stampedes. And stampedes. I am stampede free. Oh, I think we're going to have to change that. Well, Another let's go see Janice's. Turkey Janice, stampede first. Exactly. Her wild turkey stampede is going to be great. Maybe that would ease me into the, the big horsey stampede. <laughs> because you know what else they do this stampede? I don't know if they still do it, but they used to have 
instead of like they used to have little kids riding sheep. Yeah. So kind of like horse. Yeah, like so it's like the like bucking, bucking sheep. bronco. It's the sheep, and the little kids have helmets on, and they just hold on for dear life around the little sheep's necks. It's pretty fun. Yeah. So yeah, Poor there's sheep. turkey. I think they're okay because they're just little kids. So I think we'll go wild <laughs> so turkey. I can imagine putting someone like me on the back of. A oh, sheep. don't do that to a sheep. <laughs> and then, so we'll have the wild turkey stampede. Then we'll graduate up to the sheep stampede and then we'll graduate up to big horses and bulls the bulls yeah like our friend harry singletoe used to be a bull rider <laughs> that's right and i don't you know why one. we called him his his last name was singletoe i believe but we called, i honestly we used to thought call that was his real last singletoe. name singletoe what it's not what uh well oops sorry yep there you go. So, oh, yeah. So see we are you in twenty twenty one for the wild turkey stampede. There, Janice. Hope I, you're getting cracking on that. I guess we could do the stampede virtually if there's no such, <laughs> no vaccine yet. We can just watch watch some People guy go quiet, on rides quietly ride his horse around in a circle. Just the <laughs> the horses wouldn't mind. The um, yeah. Just think of the big X, but about twenty times the big X. Oh, the big X that Carol is talking about is in Nova Scotia, where I'm from. It is quite a place. I don't think that there's oxen at the Calgary Stampede. I might be wrong, though. Well, they might have the barns there. There you go. Nova Scotia's got something that Calgary doesn't. Yeah, ocean. <laughs> there's that. Oh, the Bow River's an ocean. <laughs> Come on. Anyway, thank you so much. Janice. Uh, Janice. Next, we have Sean Dissington, and Sean says... Hey, Mike and Scott, long-time listener and fan of the show. Thanks for a great show. Treat yourselves to a good coffee and donut on me. Nice. Much appreciated, Sean. Hey, Sean. Uh, I guess by Scott, he means Carol. So, <laughs> Oh, I'll share. Yeah, Carol will share. You can trust me with your donuts. Don't trust me Don't with trust donuts. Carol with donuts. I can tell you that from experience. Carol and donuts equals none left for Mike. Exactly. I don't share. It's like, hey. Oh, I feel like it's a big deal if I share. Honestly, I'm like, look at the sacrifice I'm making. You're just patting yourself on the back exactly. over there for sharing a donut with me. <laughs> I gave him one whole donut. One whole donut. Yep. It's hard to keep fat when there's no donuts around, just so yeah, you know. It's part of, uh, yeah, part of being a grown-up. Boo. <laughs> oh, well. Uh, yeah, that's it for this week's nice. patrons. Uh, this week. Thank you so much. Uh, to all our patrons, past and present, and all our donut money donors, you guys are the ones that are keeping us doing what we do. If you want to help keep Dark Poutine going, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash darkpoutine. For a one-time donation, you can send us donut money via PayPal at our email address, darkpoutinepodcast at gmail.com. If you don't already subscribe to the show, it would mean a lot to us if you did. You can find us on any podcatcher or wherever you get your on-demand audio. Check out our website, darkpoutine.com, for show notes and other cool stuff. Please, goodness gracious, take some time to give a like or follow on Facebook and Instagram. Just search for Dark Poutine. Most importantly, thank you for listening and tell your friends about us. Word of mouth is a powerful thing. But before we go, we have a promo this week. It is from our good friend, Tyler, over there at the Minds of Madness podcast. Check him out. 911, what's your emergency? 
every 60 seconds, a person is murdered somewhere in the world. There was a shootout in my house. I can't believe it. What causes ordinary people to do unthinkable things? He stabbed me in my neck. And he says, look how easily I could kill you. The Minds of Madness is a true crime podcast that examines the most disturbing criminal minds. We shed a light on the devastating impact these violent crimes have on the victims and their families. When you get calls in the night, you know they're not good or they're wrong numbers. You'll hear about the incredible strength of the survivors and what they did to fight back. I was studying his face because I was thinking, if I get out of this, I'm going to get you someday. Subscribe to the Minds of Madness podcast today on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Play. Thanks, Tyler. Tyler is also the guy who voiced our disclaimer this week. So again, check him out. Minds of Madness podcast. Awesome guy. Do it. Until we return, don't forget to be a good egg and not a bad apple. A bad apple. We know a lot of bad apples. <laughs> we don't know any bad apples. But everybody who listens is a good egg. It's a good egg. Okay, bye-bye. Bye, guys. Bye.